up, everyone? You're listening to The Roz Project. My name is Ivan Temelkoff, and I'm your host. On this podcast, we discuss entrepreneurship, personal development, family tech and marketing. And as always, it's 100% real, raw, and unfiltered. Ladies and gentlemen, today I have another special guest on the podcast, and um, we're kind of going to go into a slightly different direction and talk a little bit more about business and marketing. But um, before we do that, I want to introduce you, Alex, who became a business owner, uh, set on empowering people and sharing knowledge across the globe. He had his fair, uh, uh, he had, excuse me, he had his share of failures from overcoming an abusive household, which led to crippling anxiety, eating disorders and depression. Alex's story is the prime example of how anybody can rise to the challenge of life and ignite excellence. Fast forward a few short years, Alex begins helping business owners leverage social media for their business growth. He is a neuroscientist churn digital marketer on a mission to help business owners globally. Alex is also a digital content producer, musician, artist, athlete, and aspiring uh, public speaker. Welcome, Alex. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Awesome, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, So, you know, recently we got a chance to talk a little bit more and what really kind of piqued my interest is when you were talking about the neuroscience and psychology. So before we get into the digital marketing stuff, um, let's, let's go back a few years and talk about, you know, you have a story that, that has a lot of diversity in it, right? And I think personally, that's what makes people fucking amazing is this when you have stories, not necessarily the diversity, but a background that kind of shows people where you were you know, years ago and where you are today. So let's go back a few years, talk a little bit about, you know, what was happening in your life. Totally. Um, First off, thanks for having me on. This is awesome. Super pumped to be doing podcasts like this and being associated with amazing people like yourself and what you're working with. Um, A little bit of my backstory. I came from a single parent household for the longest time. It was just me and my mom. I was an only sibling. Uh, She had remarried, found somebody, ended up being extremely emotionally abusive. Uh, There were a few times it turned physically abusive as well, but the emotional one is really what got to me. I could take the ass whoop and I could take the beating across the chin, but it was the day in, day out, somebody telling you you're not good enough, you're you're too overweight, you're never going to be anybody, your art sucks, your design sucks, you can't play an instrument, you can't do anything that you found joy in. And that was really the atmosphere that I grew up in. And of course, when you're kind of in that tight bubble, the first thing you want to do when you turn 18 is explode and go outside of it and go as far away from home as possible, right? Um, I'd actually received a full scholarship to an art college with the art that he said, you know, would never go anywhere. You're never going to amount to anything. Um, Universities thought it was good. Other people thought it was good. And I'd had this full ride scholarship. And after talking to my girlfriend at the time, um, my family, you know, they all said, don't go to art school, you know, and it wasn't the traditional, you know, masters of fine art or even bachelors of fine art. I wanted to go into specifically like audio video production and with the idea of having, you know, a massive YouTube channel that we were going to be able to help a lot of people with. I didn't know what that main vision looked like yet. I didn't know how all these pieces were going to fit together, but I knew that it was something that was on the forefront of society and YouTube had just starting to really explode into what it was. And it wasn't just, you know, people posting cool videos of them doing like, you know, dumb shit on the internet. Like people were starting to really curate channels and like you were really starting to see 
the you know the OTB of what YouTube is now this huge Goliath when it comes to content. Mm-hmm. So I always kind of knew that was there. I knew it was something I was interested in. So going back after talking with family and friends, they had all said, no, don't go through that video and audio production route. You'll never find a job in Hollywood. You'll never find a job as an audio producer. You'll never be able to do anything with this. It's going to bring you any money. So after talking to them, they're like, you know, you're good at science. You enjoy it. You enjoy watching humans and understanding how they interact. Why don't you go to school and do psychology? Mm -hmm. So I got into school, got into Ohio State, started doing psychology. And then I realized you know, I don't like, I don't like the looseness that some of this stuff provides. I needed more scientific, just grit. And I needed to understand why things were happening inside the brain and inside the body at a deeper level. At that point, that's when I started to transition more into the neuroscience side of things and really understanding how biochemicals interact both inside the blood brain barrier and outside throughout the body and how we can use food, stimulus, rituals, behaviors, to kind of modify our altered states that we're constantly living in. So after college, went through, did all the studying, did all the tests, whatever you needed to do, got back into the small business world because I couldn't find a job, but I knew I didn't want to be a pharmaceutical sales rep in the process just because I I had sales experience. I'd worked in retail and I hated it. it. Sales was not my thing. I could connect with people, but closing was the absolute devil. It was like going and trying to pick up the hottest girl at the bar. I could talk to her all night, but trying to get her number, it just like right on out. (laughs) So (laughs) since then things have changed, but at that time I wasn't comfortable with sales. I was feeling still that super judgment on me. Uh, I was closing in on 300 pounds and I was at a place where I was using food and the idea of I'm in school, I'm in study mode. I have to be taking care of school and the body is just secondary. The mind is secondary to accomplishing the goal, right? Constantly pushing, but not taking Mm -hmm. that second for self-care. And even to this day, coming from that background, it's still something that I struggle with. And it's something I have to leave myself reminders of and visual triggers and audio triggers uh, with my words and the way that I interact with my girlfriend and my family now that I have to be super primed to catch myself before I fall back into these old habits and these old rituals. Um, And time, time will really help with that. So After college, I got into a small business world and I started working at a flotation therapy tank company. Um, Mm -hmm. Flotation therapy, sensory deprivation tanks. If people listen to Joe Rogan, I'm sure they've heard them talk about sensory deprivation tanks. If you've watched Steph Curry with ESPN, they've put out a massive amount of stuff. Soccer players from FC float all the time. Uh, it's, It's starting to become a really big phenomenon around the United States. So where I'm at in the Midwest, that trend hadn't really caught up yet. And this is really where I started to kind of, you know, learn about how digital marketing and social media worked beyond just, hey, I have a channel and this is who I am. This is my personal life. This is me and my girlfriend out at Taco Tuesday taking a snapshot of that moment, right? (laughs) And how to really kind of start to think about this for business sense. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, so as we were going through after a few months of being hired, I found out, you know, they really weren't in a good financial spot, but they were ready to really kind of give social media a try specifically at the time it was Facebook and Google. Facebook had just put out their ad product and up until then it was entirely PPC through Google and Facebook Mm -hmm. was still kind of new. So you had a lot of these people coming out saying, you know, if you pay me $10,000, I'll teach you how to run Facebook ads. 
And at the time when they were showing results and testimonials, I mean, they could get conversions for as low as a quarter on, you know, $100 products. And we were looking at this saying, holy shit, like if this really works, you know, right. this is something that's going to revolutionize our business and the way we interact with customers and really try to leverage that. So after about 18 months of working with them, I was able to get them up into a month. Up oh, and there's your Google phone coming at you. She listens <laughs> all the time, by the way, people. Um, but yeah, when we were working through there in about 18 months, we brought them up to 2.2 million in sales on the back of Google and Facebook. And, you know, it was something that took time. It took a lot of test and trial and error and A-B testing. But I got deep into the idea of marketing and advertising. And as I started digging deeper into it, I realized how much of an overlap there was with my psychology and my neuroscience background. And I was like, okay, like if all we're playing on is the idea of dopamine responses and serotonin and oxytocin and a little bit of norepinephrine, like, you know, these are all systems that have been really well studied, but they're not really being correlated yet into marketing besides the idea of like these colors represent, you know, these types of emotions. That was about as deep yeah. as, you know, people get with it. <clears throat> so we really kind of had, there's a lot of research out there now in like neuromarketing. If people want to do more research on that specific topic, that's where you would search. Uh, and there's a lot more constantly coming out, but at the time there wasn't really a lot. So what we were going on was psychological principles and neuroscience principles of, okay, what stimulates dopamine, right? And then to your audience, what is dopamine? Dopamine is a neurotransmitter. That means it's a chemical that's endogenous inside of the brain. Our brain produces it in multiple different regions and dopamine goes throughout the entire brain for the most part. Uh, primarily it's the pleasure principle chemical. So anything that feels good or is chemically rewarding to our body or brain, dopamine has a role in. Uh, serotonin, everybody's heard as the love chemical. Uh, same thing with oxytocin and endorphins. You know, they've all got their own variations, but essentially they're doing similar things. For the yeah. large scale, we don't have to get into exactly what each one of them do. Um, so once we started to kind of figure that out, we saw how Facebook was starting to integrate a lot of these neuroscience principles into the way that their platform operates. Same thing with, you know, Instagram, when it started to pop, they started to implement the same features. And a lot of the uh, social psychology principles started to merge with the neuroscience and the psychology, which is, you know, how do humans interact in groups? What are their behavioral patterns? And that's when I really started to dive deep into the idea of marketing, persuasion, and what really drives influence. And that's a lot of what social psychology is. Yeah. So coming out of that, you know, we've really taken those principles. And now our mission is to help small business owners all around the world that think that they need to spend, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year on ad spend just to get clients when, you know, there's so much available to you for such less and that's so much more effective you know, our goal is to really try to put an end to those frauds and those people that are out there just looking for that yeah. quick buck on small businesses. And really, it's not to put them on blast, but I'm going to do it anyway. Like, it's 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 really sure. shitty that they're doing this in the American culture, considering that, you know, small business owners that have brick and mortar were the backbone of America. And now that we've switched to an entirely new e-commerce model, which our tax system hasn't caught up to yet, you see a lot of businesses and, you know, scammers taking advantage of the fact that this is an entirely digital platform now. So yeah. that's really where we're kind of coming out and helping to fight that fight on our own, one customer at a time, one conversation at a time. That's really where our driving force has been. You know, 
that was huge amounts of information that you just dropped. And I, I, I want to extrapolate it a little bit because I think it's important for watchers or listeners of the podcast. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted you to come on the show is because uh, we both see a huge value behind human marketing, human business and the psychology aspect of it. And one thing that you just talked about is that I think one of the biggest misconceptions in digital marketing is most people nowadays think that it's the technology that's the driving force and that's completely backwards. Yeah. It always has been. And what you said is to be the best marketer, you know, and, and, and I think I read somewhere even guys like Gary Vaynerchuk and Ty Lopez have actually been coached by some of the best psychologists in the world to be able to understand that social psychology that you talked about. Because at the end of the day, Marketing is really about understanding people. Like what's that central acuity that Andy Frazella talks about, right? Is like what drives them, what interests them, as opposed to focusing on the technology. Because I think most digital marketers nowadays have it backwards. They're so amped up about, you know, what's Facebook doing and, and what's, you know, Google doing. And they're looking at it from a technology standpoint as opposed to how is the human culture and psychology changing? What's and the how are I'm sorry. What's the algorithm? How can we hack it? Right, right, <laughs> right. And you were talking about dopamine actually. And um, I remember a couple of years ago when, when, or it might've been longer when Facebook was kind of going through this evolution to going over past the, what is a 1.5 billion mark, I think of users is that um, they were talking about that dopamine that you were talking about, you know, and Facebook actually invested a significant amount into research and intelligence to be able to understand what exactly you were talking about is the neuroscience, the dopamine, the psychology behind how people think they're ultimately correlated to the way that we're going to interact in social media and in the digital space because all digital really is, is just an amplified version of what people do traditionally. Correct. It's just different tools and resources that we have, but the epicenter of it is you still need to have a deep understanding of people's psychology. Because that's why they buy a product or service. I mean, I don't know about you, but I buy shit on emotional intent. You know, I feel uh, like I just bought a new hoodie. It's, it's part of a, a new product that I'm testing. And I bought it because, you know, I like it. I want to test it. I want to wear it. I want to feel it, right? I want to experience right. it. And that's why people buy. And so it, let's dive more into, you know, so you kind of went neuroscience, psychology, you know, huge background into that, you know, so how did you like shift into the digital space with that? Yeah, it was out of pure necessity. So I, like I said, I gotten involved. They had me starting to run Facebook and Instagram ads, uh, Google ads for them. And we were crushing it, dude. I mean, crush. I've never seen money roll in in my life the way I had seen this happen. <laughs> <laughs> and for the first, like for the first time, because I came yeah. from a single parent household, for most of my life like I wasn't used to seeing money like yeah when I, like when I was used to seeing money it was like you know a couple hundred bucks like this was coming in in decimal places I had never seen before holy and shit that, that's what had really kind of piqued me like holy shit like we can really do something with this yeah so after I had asked the company for a really long time hey I need a raise like I've got student debt coming in I've got my own place uh, I'd had my girlfriends that I'm with now coming on five years like we had shit that we wanted to do and start to experience in life because I just spent the last 25 years of my life hustling in school and busting my ass for a company. And I had gotten 9.25 an hour at part time and no more than 30 hours a week. 
And yeah. I just started to do the math. And because I was doing their books for them, I was figuring out how much they were actually netting and bringing in. I was like, this, like this dude's just sitting on it. Yeah. And like at the time, because I hadn't run my own business, I didn't have any idea about, you know, the concept of money. I wasn't educated in money. I just saw the numbers and just said, oh, like you can totally <clears throat> afford to pay me more. Like that's not an issue. So I had conversations with him and after many vodka tonics, we finally got the answer out of him that he wasn't going to be able to afford to pay me more, but he could afford a BMW. He could afford high end luxury apartments and <laughs> everything else. So, you know, that's kind of where I was like, all right, I'm, I'm out essentially. Like I, yeah. I, I, I know I've got a skill set that's valuable and that business owners around the world can benefit from. Right, especially with Facebook growing at the time the way that it was, it hadn't hit the 2016 presidential scandal with the Russian hackers. Like yeah. Facebook was in a really prime spot for me to start this business. And that's that opportunity, timing, and everything had just kind of lined up. So that's when we started Hidden Falls Media. We really started to push the idea of digital advertising and marketing, but not just running Facebook ads. Anybody, any idiot can go on YouTube and Google and figure out how to run Facebook ads, right? But it's, it's how do you start to layer in different marketing principles, different psychological wants and desires and needs over top. And that's really where we kind of stepped in and said, this is what's gonna differentiate us. This is gonna be our key differentiator between me and everybody else out there. Sure, there's other people in advertising and marketing space that have psychology backgrounds. That's where most of them actually end up, either that or teaching or running a business, ironically, because we understand human behavior. And at the yeah. end of the day, that's what most business is. And just because it's online doesn't mean that changes, right? As yeah. much as we do on the digital space, there's almost two to three times that on the background and the physical realm of business that we're interacting with our customers. It's just that top yeah. line for us is digital for most cases as far as the feeder funnel. Once we get them in and inside of our business, our entire focus is how do we make this as personalized, as custom, and as physical as possible so that way we have that interaction that people are just craving. I mean, you see this too. How many times yep. do you go out to dinner and you don't see people talking or, you know, you're with this or you see people with or a couple of their significant others and there's no touch, right? Like people yep. are just so deprived of that human element that when you step in as your business and kind of alternate into that, it's massive for us. And it, it totally yep. changed the way we think about things. You know, um, you made some very valid points. Um, about the human element and the personalization and the lack of it, because I think that, um, so a couple of things, just to uh, take a step back. So you mentioned, um, you know, any idiot can go on Google and fucking Google shit and say, hey, here's how I set up a Facebook ads account or how do I set up really anything because the internet is so accessible. And I'll tell you this, I went to school of Google. I mean, I barely graduated high school and dropped out of college. And I learned more than what most people have learned in college that have over six figures in debt, believe it or not. And the reason I know this is <laughs> I have several people who have gone to prominent Ivy League schools that have attested to this, that have MBAs and say, you know what, I could have gotten an MBA for a fraction of the cost on the internet as opposed to what I paid at this Ivy League school. So you're absolutely right about that. The other thing is, you know, I see this from a cultural standpoint, the lack of the human element and personalization. And you're absolutely right. You know, me being a digital guy, I'm, I'm just as guilty because I'll go out to dinner with my family and we're sitting there and I, you know, my son's watching the tablet. My wife is browsing through her phone. 
I'm browsing on my phone. And now my 19 month old daughter, my son's three and a half. She's actually latching on the, the, the older version iPhone we have that we kept at home that runs only on Wi-Fi. And she's, she literally screams when you take it out of her hand now. And I'm taking actually stronger notion of, of what my wife has been saying. Like, for instance, she's been wanting to implement this rule of like, okay, every night, one hour, no digital device, nothing. Like we just, it's playtime. And what you were saying right there, I think we as a society have become so hooked on digital. And I think Grant Cardone was talking about this recently that, you know what, the robots are here. You know, 50 years ago, we feared them, but they're here. You know, now, I mean, shit, we got fucking self-driving cars and they're about to hit in masses. Not just only in the state of California or whatever other state, you know, uh, allows autonomous vehicles because of government regulations. It's because it's what society wants, but it also shows that society is getting lazier, which means that, get this, five years, maybe 10 years from now, you're going to be sitting in a Tesla, riding down the highway, and it's going to be fully autonomous. So while you're on your phone and maybe in the screen in front of you, you'll be seeing digital ads, mm -hmm. right? Because it's just where society has gone. So, but it also goes back to what you were saying about, um, um, you know, how I, I think this digital realm and the lack of humanization, you know, is, is missing. But at the same time, it's big business because from a digital standpoint, a lot of people have realized that, you know what, we can hack this because people are hooked on digital, people are hooked on smartphones. And if we understand the psychology and the dopamine, which is something you specialize in, like you said, you've never seen more zeros behind a one <laughs> rolling in, in an ad account. And I can, I can relate to that because as an Eastern European, didn't have much money growing up. So when you see a client start dropping serious money and you start seeing the return, you're like, holy shit, you know, like, but it's, it's also very rewarding, right? It goes to show that the, the, the methodologies that you have about neuroscience and psychology, that they're effective in the digital space. And that is indeed the, the differentiator between you and the next digital marketer. Right. So, um, you know, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, so how long have you been doing uh, the, the business thing now? Um, I flirted with a few different like uh, Shopify accounts and trying to see uh, when, at the very beginning, my thought process was, well, if I can just buy a Shopify account that's doing okay, or even go partner, partner with somebody on it and just blow up a Shopify account. You know, mm -hmm. that, that could be good money for me. And, you know, it, it worked for a few of them. Um, and that's really kind of like what started me doing it on my own. But as far as like us really narrowing down and really hitting the hatches, it was beginning of 2018 in January where we were like, this has got to, this has to go the way that we need it to go because there's so many business owners out there that need this in order to survive. But they are just either at a price point where, you know, an advertising agency won't touch them because they know they're not going to make a lot of money off of it and it's not worth them right. the system. Or they're going to go out and they're going to buy a course that's $10,000, $15,000 that's outdated because it was previously recorded. It's way overpriced. And all they're telling you to do is go on Facebook and just type out a few paragraphs, uh, plead, plead guilty or <laughs> plead innocent to whatever charges you want in the process and then go from there. So, 
you know, when we started to kind of think about what's the best way for us to serve our clients, it was just being authentically us. We, we had no other option but to just kind of come in and say, yeah, we're new. Yeah, we're still young. We're all in our 20s. But at the end of the day, like, you're not going to find anybody else that's done as much research. You're not going to find the people that have put in the hours. And if they did, they weren't practicing correctly. And that's yeah. one of the things that we talk about. You know, it's one thing to practice, but practice perfectly. Like, practice with the perfection idea in mind. So even if you fall short, you're still hitting at 98% throttle and you're still going in the direction that you need to. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's kind of how we got into it and why. Uh, but right now our goal is just to grow. And it's not just grow in the sense of we want to collect as much money in the process as possible. It's let's grow and figure out how to really set the standard and the bar across the entire United States and then eventually the rest of the world on what the standard for human interaction online has to be and how you can express that in your business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- that's, those are some really good, good points, uh, which kind of segues into the question I wanted to ask you uh, about, um, a lot of people still call it digital marketing. I just think it's marketing, honestly, because it has become so standardized. But what are your thoughts on where digital is going, you know, and what do you think we can see over the next, I don't know, three to five years, maybe? Uh, it's funny. I, I try not to make predictions. I just look at trends mm-hmm. um, and kind of see where we're going. I think something that's going to start being a trend is that people are going to move to a decentralized idea of information. And we see that already with cryptocurrencies kind of taking off the way that they have in different uh, blockchain technologies. But I, I really see something like that kind of taking over. Eventually, Facebook will fall you know, and people are like, oh my gosh, you're thinking that the biggest platform out there is going to fall. It's like, yeah, well, MySpace fell too, dog. Like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, my, like if you would have told uh, Dane Cook back in the early 2000s that MySpace was going down, <laughs> dude, you would have had so much heat coming at you. Yeah. And, I mean, all it, we're, seeing, we're seeing so many social media platforms walk on a tightrope because they don't know sure. how to handle this privilege culture that's going on in the United States. Like, we, they don't know how to put processes and procedures in place. I mean, accounts are getting banned for freedom of speech. Like, there's a lot of big issues that are going on with the idea of yeah. social. And I agree, if you're going to be a marketer, you may as well be a digital one because, you know, it's, it's the Wild West. And I think what we're going to see is we're going to see a bunch of – the pendulum swings, right? We saw a totally yeah. open and free communication market – when Facebook and Twitter started to go, Twitter still kind of hung on there as far as pretty much anything goes. I mean, you can put porn on Twitter and it's not an issue. You put that on Facebook or Instagram, you're getting blocked. So kind of one of those where that pendulum swings is really going to determine where the attention and the gravity pulls from. Because as you start to pull in one direction, that gravity wants to pull you right back to where you were. So I think trying to find that middle will end up in something that's decentralized. So that way you you can't have these foreign hacks foreign hacks that are internal and you know what I mean? Like it's, it's not going to happen. You were, so something you said that I just want to touch upon is censorship. You know, it's really interesting that you mentioned that and how many people don't actually realize uh, how censored social media really is. 
I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of freedom of speech and a lot of freedom of expression. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I think social is becoming even more mainstream and it's going to become even more mainstream. I mean, news comes out in main, uh, out of social media, right? I mean, uh, major news networks are drawing content. I mean, presidential elections are determined based on social media. But at the same time, as you're absolutely right, is... How many times have you gone out on Twitter or on Facebook or Instagram and, and said something very polarizing that everybody's like, what the fuck, dude? And then you end up getting uh, banned or you posted something on Facebook and uh, Facebook says, no, no, this is an infringement. It's against our policies. You can't say this. Is it because society interprets it that way or is it the Facebook or Instagram or any other social network, you know, is aiming to control that? Because they are private, yes, I get that, but at the same time, they're promoting freedom of speech, so it's a little bit counterintuitive, right? Yeah, um, I've got a really kind of interesting story around that, and I, I know a lot of business owners listen to this, so this is going to be really kind of an eye-opener for them. We've Last year in 2018 or 2019, we had three different business accounts, including our own, get shut down off of Instagram and permanently deleted internally. Um, Holy shit. And part of the reason was we were growing too quickly. How and so? Facebook, Facebook and in, our numbers were growing. Within a month, we had jumped from, you know, a couple hundred followers up to, you know, five-figure followers. We were hitting 25, 30,000 followers on our platforms, and they thought that we were hacking their algorithm using bots. When it's no, it just, <laughs> we were riding the surge. We figured out ways to right. get community involvement. And, you know, there's a bunch of AI platforms that run on in the background of these things that catch weird behaviors like this and stop right. them dead in their tracks. So when you talk about freedom of speech with this, it's like, yeah, but who's really monitoring this? Like people at Twitter monitor, there's people that are dedicated to specific big accounts, like people like Alex Jones and presidential candidates that are out there that monitor sure. and catch these things. And then it's up to their internal systems to say, look, you signed up for our terms of service. You know what you signed up for. Even if you didn't read it, you still signed up for it, right? Right. We're, it's a free platform. And that's, that's, I think, what kind of drives me up a wall when people complain about all of this is like, look, the platform's free. Nobody forced you yep. to sign up for these platforms. Nobody expected you to. You may have been peer pressured into doing it, but nobody said, nobody put a gun to your head and said, you have to sign up to Facebook. You know, something that I wanted to mention on that is because this is a really good point that you're talking about. And, and I was watching a Facebook Live early. It might have been one of the other uh, uh, Arte brothers, and that's where I met you, actually, um, is I was talking about Arte, attention. Man. Yeah, and I got my shirt on, too. <laughs> um, uh, so where you were going with this is so people sign up on social networks. They're free. I think they're drawn to the fact that it's free and it's accessible. When you get to the TOS, most people don't even read it. 99.9% .9 of people do not read it because they don't have the attention span for it. But by signing up, you acknowledge to legal remedies that most people don't acknowledge. And in fact, you are trading uh, your, your investment, your time, that these social networks are monetizing to market to you. And people don't understand that. They don't understand that you get on Facebook, Facebook's free, you create a Facebook profile, right? But then you're going to start being thrown ads based on interest, based on your activity, based on whatever the algorithm picks up. Same for Instagram, same for other social networks, because think about it for a second. It's free for a reason. They don't tell you all the fine print. 
underneath it. And most people are literally naive to that because they say, oh, it's free. I'm going to connect with my friends and my family on there. It's great. I mean, I know at least most of my family now is on Facebook anyway. But what they don't realize is that if you look at the, so what was it, a couple of years ago, um, the big battle, was it the Russian hacking thing where uh, Facebook was at Congress um, and they had to talk about privacy and the ability to download your, da your, your data? Were you following that? Yeah, um, it got a lot of bad rep in both ways just because there were quite a few people within, that were on the board that were judging that circumstance with social and digital media that didn't even know how ads worked on pay-per-click. Mm -hmm. It's like how, like, how can we have an intelligent conversation if the people that are having the conversation don't deal with it daily? They have some PR firm or some marketing agency that works with their, you know, president or party nominee or party selection that yep. does a lot of this work for them. And honestly, most of them, they have some young tween in their office as an intern <laughs> that's doing Facebook and Twitter for them. And it's like, you know, when you start to see this type of stuff roll out and you're looking at when policies and strategies get implemented, you know, it seems to me like they're making them for the 1% of people that affect the 99% because some idiot didn't figure it out or couldn't hold his shit together in public. Yeah. Right? So I don't know. I think the internet is going through a very interesting shift. And we have to think about the internet's still very, very new, right? We are dealing with the teenage years of the internet right now. It's no wonder it's rambunctious. You know, Napster, was, the Napster scandal was kind of like the first, like, oh boy, we're 13. We went and spray painted a building. Like, <laughs> Here, here we go. We got another 10 years of rambunctiousness and testosterone rage bad decisions. So I think we're starting to kind of come out of that and everybody around yeah. the world is starting to understand the capabilities that this platform, regardless of what social platform it is, the genie's out of the bottle. We know we can talk to people now. We know we can pass yeah. information around the world pretty much uncensored. There's ways around it, right? Sure. Um, especially with things like BitTorrent and everything else. I mean, you can get anything anywhere, anytime. So, yeah. well, something that you were uh, that you were talking about Napster, and I should remember this because I remember downloading Napster, and I was so fucking excited about it for P2P sharing. I mean, you remember that and how big that was, right? P2P sharing. But here's what was so cliche about this man, like when Metallica sued Napster for copyright infringement, and the whole fucking world lost their shit because yeah. suddenly everybody's like. I was going to Napster to download music illegally because I wanted to get my hands on it. But here's the thing. What people didn't realize and what the government actually didn't realize is that and that's kind of what's happening with medicinal marijuana right now is just that these artists got mass amounts of exposure, which yep. translate to sales. And that's what the government, you know, try, tried to censor, right? It's because they weren't paying royalties. Napster wasn't paying royalties until, well, it started paying royalties after the big Metallica scandal, but it was kind of too late. And then he forced them to shut down because they ran out of fucking money and, and because of legal fees and legal battles, right? But that's just it. And that's why you're absolutely right. I think, you know, the internet started what? Technically in the early 80s, right? Because it was a government project. And then he opened up to the public and, Look at it. Look at how much the internet has revolutionized uh, humanity as a whole, and how many great things it has done. And it's kind of like what's happening with 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 medicinal marijuana right now. That and the reason I'm talking about this because I have a family member who has Parkinson's disease, and like I'm, I'm looking at that aspect of it. And after watching all these YouTube videos online, I'm like, holy shit! Why did the gov government hold it for so long? 
I mean, they're making fucking money out of it right now. And that's kind of like the internet. I mean, remember, I don't know if you remember dial-up internet, like when that came out and it was like the next best thing since fucking sliced bread. And if you wanted to fuck with somebody and you knew they were on <laughs> online, you could just call their landline and kick them off. Exactly. That shit You're like, was dude, fucking- we're playing Quake. Stop calling me. <laughs> that was fucking amazing seriously like this was like high school days man and it was just so hilarious of but it it just went to show that you know technology wasn't meant to be holstered and that was really the beginning days of i think digital right i mean back at america online days right you'd get in aol chat rooms and, and access the aol homepage, and suddenly you have access to news and like People that actually grasped the potential of the internet back in 1994, 1995. I mean, that was around the time, what, two years into Amazon, right? I believe two years after Amazon had started. And now what? Jeff Bezos is the wealthiest person in the world. Yeah. uh, Going back to the AOL thing. So there's a really interesting phenomenon that happens with people when it comes to technology and specifically sensory input in any way from technology. And this happens all over. This started originally with like Pavlov's dog. Are you familiar with that? No. So Pavlov was a, uh, he studied, I think he was a physicist. He studied a different part of, you know, the way we interpret and experience energy in the world. But he created this really famous study where he would ring a dinner bell and give the dog a bowl of food. And then eventually he was able just to ring the bell and not give the dog a bowl of food. And then the dog would start to salivate, right? So it's called classical conditioning. Uh, But there's a lot of different areas that this happens in life. And one of the things that we see brands kind of attach onto is the ability for sound and jingles, right? So like you talked about Gary Vee earlier, he has that famous (laughs) type of like click with it. And, uh, that, that's the same thing. It's a mental trigger to pull you back to a brand. And when you said AOL, the very first thing I thought of was that dial-up sound or that bing anytime you got that notification that, you know, somebody had sent you an IM. And that's really yep. kind of when people, when specifically when Steve Jobs started looking at the iPhone, he was thinking about how do we integrate these different triggers at different points in people's day to align right. them back to our brand. Yeah. No, that's, that's a really, really good... Uh, explanation there actually and um, you know the the fact that you brought jobs because let's face it I mean Steve fucking jobs changed forever technology he did and it was it's because of him and a lot of it had to do with what we're talking about here is neuroscience and psychology understanding how to how to combine humans and technology to make it more natural to where people could feel like they were interacting you know I was watching I don't know if you've seen the uh, the interview that Tony Robbins did with Sophie uh, the robot. Uh, I, I saw that was out, but I haven't consumed it yet. So you have to watch it because what's amazing about it is the questions that Tony Robbins asks. And it actually goes to show that uh, technology and humans can coexist. But I think that there's this huge, and I think we're on a whole different level, by the way, here, that I think a lot of people, even listeners to to this podcast, will be like, holy shit. But this is the level that I think a lot of successful people like, Gary V, Grant Cardone, you know, Ty Lopez, you know, like anyone that's like in the media that's very prominent. I think uh, The Rock, Dwayne Johnson is one of the most followed people on social media because the guy is just good fucking hearted. And that's in fact why he's so successful is because he generally has good intentions behind everything. But I think this really elevates to the level of coexistence between 
man and robot. And I think that fear, there's still that fear. You know, I think humanity thinks that the robotics are going to replace humanity, but I don't think it will because a robot can never do what a human being does. I think as humans, we're striving for that. And that really correlates to, I think, a lot of what's happening in marketing and business. Also, the way to, to, uh, to perceive, you know, customers, you know, to attract customers, to create attention on the internet. You were talking about the central aspect of the AIM messenger, the ding, and then the Gary V, you know, the signature, which by the way, a bunch of people are copying on the internet, you know, mm -hmm. because uh, it just works, you know, it just works, but it has to do with, with emotions. It has to do with, with feelings of joy, with expression, how it makes you feel. And that's really the epicenter of digital, right? Yeah, totally. It's the digital space is totally open for creativity. However you are creative, there are people out there that will listen to what you have to say and what you want to say. Not saying it's right or wrong, but there's always somebody out there. Sure. Uh, well, Alex, I mean, we could pro time literally flies when you're having amazing conversations and I absolutely enjoy this. And, uh, you know, just in closing, uh, how can people find you on the internet? I mean, what's the best way to connect you? Throw out some handles, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, the business one is at Hidden Falls Media. That's where we're dropping a lot of information um, around psychology, neuroscience, different marketing and advertising principles, hot tips of the day. Uh, we throw those up there all the time. My personal one is at alex.vonderhaar. Um, that's where you can follow me, see pictures of me, my dog, me playing guitar, uh, books <laughs> I'm reading, stuff like that. So Okay. Very cool, man. Well, I want to thank you for, for jumping on the podcast. This was absolutely amazing. Um, you know, thank you so much for sharing all, all the knowledge. It was a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to sharing.